This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For Batter Up, the definitive Atlanta Braves podcast with host Joe Patrick and Caleb Johnson, giving you exclusive insight into our Braves from Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Joe and Caleb. Welcome into Batter Up on this Monday, October 25th, a monumental day. Well, not really today, isn't, but it's just the fact that we get to talk about, I get to say these words, Joe Patrick, the Atlanta yes. Braves are going to the World Series. Like, it just feels absolutely insane. Caleb Johnson in with my co-host, Joe Patrick. Uh, Joe, how does hearing that sound? It's crazy. It, it, it It's nostalgic, honestly. It reminds me of being a kid because I don't know when you were born, Caleb, but I definitely, I like, I, some of my earliest sports memories were, well, my family had just moved to Georgia when they won the 95 World Series. We had li- we had moved here the year before that. And, of course, baseball was on strike the year before. So um, that was kind of like one of my first baseball memories, Braves memories, memories, certainly. And then, of course, they were pretty much in the World Series pretty regularly at that point. You know, and they went back in 96 and had a heartbreaker. And then in 99 was obviously the last time they were there. So, you know, just hearing those words reminds me of that time in my life when I was just a little innocent kid <laughs> and um man it feels so good to, good to be back and i'm so happy for all the other little kids who now get to experience um this moment for themselves it's really an exciting time here in atlanta with all the sporting success that seemingly every team is having right now and it's uh i feel privileged and i'm sure you feel the same just to kind of be covering a team that's um kind of at the forefront of all that success so just couldn't be more excited for what's going on yeah, so I don't have memories of the 95 World Series. Uh, my memories come in the form of just, like, memorabilia and things that I have have just kept uh, over the years, uh, you know, things that people have given me and, and that I've found places. But I do have memory of 99, which I was still very, very young. Uh, but I remember the excitement and I still have a hat around here somewhere, uh, after they won the national league pennant and, uh, it is, it is beat up and worn in. Cause I remember, like I wore it all the time as a kid. Uh, and I also remember the extreme disappointment, uh, of how that all finished. Mm-hmm. I say that to say one of the things I, I feel like with a lot of things that we'll get to talk about in in our show today, is just this idea of this is coming at a different time for Braves fans. Like, you you talk about that era of the 90s 
where the Braves were in it, it felt like, you know, every other year uh, from, what, 91 on. It was just like the Braves were competitive and in this thing. And while the Braves have been competitive the last few years, there's just been a difference. Like, there has been the show that that we did before this was wondering, all right, can the Braves get over that inevitable hump, that that roadblock in the way that that seems so impossible, or are they going to revert to old Atlanta habits and uh, mess things up? Well, so like that is that is in the past, and so I think part of this experience that that is enjoyable to this point and is going to continue to be enjoyable is there's a level of content that I have with what this team has accomplished that wasn't going to exist if they lost the Dodgers series. Mm -hmm. If they Mm -hmm. lost the Dodgers series, they were just going to be something in the back of my mind that was kind of like, man, what could have been? And, 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 and man, you know, does, is this team just another Atlanta team that that becomes hard to root for? Cause they just don't quite get there. Uh, now, no, I don't want to take anything away from the fact, like I want, I want a ring. I want a oh, championship. Yeah. I want a parade down Peachtree. Uh, but before we get into the series, it's just, I wanted to put it out there that, that I have this, this feeling of resolve and like happiness, uh, that, just came so sweet, not only Saturday night, uh, but also in a Sunday afternoon Waffle House meal that I had. <laughs> just uh, tasted incredible. Extra sweet, extra sweet on a victory Sunday morning for sure. Absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it was just it was just such a big day. I was gonna say something, and I totally forgot what it was. But um, <laughs> what were you? What were you just talking about? What were you? Well, were just you? just this overall feeling of I'm 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 content. I am happy with that's right this point yeah. that the Braves have reached. Something I thought about after after the game, in the wake of them advancing to the World Series, is just how remarkable it's been for this organization to incrementally improve in a very yeah. steady way, step-by-step, step, since they won the division in 2018. They won the division in 2018, obviously, the upstart team. Nobody expected them to do what they did in winning the NL East that year. But then they didn't get swept out of of the of the NLDS, but they got roundly beaten by the Dodgers and by by a much better Dodgers team to be mm-hmm. quite frank about it. Um but you still like that was a, obviously a positive season to to have that to kind of elevate yourself in that way. 2019, you have a much more dominant regular season. You get, you you win I think 97 games. They could have won more, but they decided to rest some players toward the end. Um have a tough battle with the Cardinals obviously. Goes to 5 games in the NLDS. We all know how that one ended up but I still think you would definitely consider that an improvement on the season before although you didn't advance you know past the NLDS round then in 2020 once again you pretty you 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 win the division pretty soundly you go in with the expectation that you need to now advance in the playoffs like there's no like just you know having a competitive series is not going to cut it you do that and as it was a different playoff so you beat the Reds then you beat the Marlins Two teams that you probably would have expected to beat anyway, as it was. Like I think that in the the Cardinals series in twenty nineteen was a lot more evenly matched than you know in, in la- last year. The Braves were pretty heavily favored against both the, the Reds and the Marlins at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you obviously pushed the Dodgers to the brink in the NLCS. So again, another positive step. 
But that one ended a little sour because you lost to the Dodgers team that beaten you in 2018. The fact that you had them on the ropes up 3-1 and, and you had people, um, us in particular, excited that you were going to go to the World Series that year. That left you with an obvious disappointment. So then this year, another challenge. You know, you don't actually win the division as dominant a fashion as you had in prior years, but you go into the playoffs with a certain kind of pedigree that allows you, to, that propels you to beat a really good team that won, that won the NL Central wire-to-wire wire wire in the Milwaukee Brewers, which I feel like it's now getting kind of swept under the rug, like how oh, impressive the Braves were is, in that yeah. series to beat a team that that good. And then, obviously, then to beat the Dodgers, the, the giant that has knocked you out a couple times, kind of the, the bully in the NL East with the, the amount of money that they are able to spend on their roster, uh, you vanquish them as well. So I think that all these things, now you're in the World Series, so once again, another progression – in terms of how you do in the playoffs, but also that kind of sweetness of having beaten the Dodgers to, to do it. I think there's some, it's kind of poetic that it, that has happened this way. Uh, and I think that that's why it does create this kind of euphoric feeling. And this is going to kind of maybe throw us off. But I, I was just, what I was like, you know, if they had Acuna, man, like, like how good would this team be with Ronald Acuna Jr. out there? Um, you could have, yeah. I mean, we could imagine any myriad, um, kinds of lineups and things like that but uh man just what a what a what an awesome season it's been and yeah for as much as we all want to win it um and yeah have that trophy presentation like you said there Caleb um I think we can all be happy with what this team has accomplished I think that everybody is just super proud of this team and where they are right now absolutely so and I can attest to that just from the pure fact of a line that I was standing in Yesterday afternoon, a day after the Braves clinched game six and are going to a World Series, there was a line of a hundred people or so standing outside of the the team store at the stadium with another hundred or so inside there. Everybody's buying team gear. I saw all kinds of pictures on social media yesterday with people lining up at Dick's and uh, uh, Academy Sports and buying gear before it was even put on the shelves. Like, they just opened the boxes and, and <laughs> were selling stuff. Like, like there's just uh, – there's a level of pride for me yesterday to be able to go buy a World Series Braves hat that's not from the year 1995. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. like, like I, I think there is just – there's something to that – when you're a fan of a team that at least the you know the Braves can claim their their title, their World Series, their one championship that the city has had, uh, and we've been clinging to it for so long, and so I think just to have the opportunity to add on to that uh, counts for so much, and that that is really where the excitement level is, and. Here's the thing that we can kind of uh, spur off of this is in a year where it's not their year. It's right. not the Braves time. The, you know, the Atlanta Braves are missing Ronald Acuna Jr. They are missing Marcelo Zuna. They are missing Mike Soroka. Uh, you know, they, they were kind of hobbling and trying to figure out their way through the postseason. Um Losing guys left and right in the postseason, you know, Jorge Soler, Wascar Enoa. Um, I know I'm forgetting one, 
but Travis just, Darn. Well, I mean, this wasn't in the postseason, but losing Travis Darno during the regular Travis season Darnot for so early long. in the season. Yeah, like there's just there, there's been so many uh, reasonable excuses of yeah, we'll see you next year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, that is what makes this moment uh, that more gratifying. Uh, and the fact of, and we can get into it now, Game 6 itself was a, a a true roller coaster of emotions and a true test of something I wasn't sure the Braves had this year, which was your back isn't up against the wall, but you need to get it done right now. And the killer instinct. Yeah. And it's and it's not going to be a cakewalk. Like like I think something uh well, you and I hadn't gotten to it because it hadn't happened yet, but I was producing for Thomas Mott this weekend, and there was something to the fact that the Houston Astros clinched their series, their you know, their trip to the World Series by winning five to nothing. Like there maybe have been moments there I mean, there were moments in that game where it felt close but nothing to the effect of the especially 7 8 and 9 for you know for for this Braves team in that game 6 you being there uh what was that like just kind of witnessing it all slowly going down piece by piece by piece well i'd like to start just um before the game even started actually sure. when 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 discussing this because um we can't give enough credit to the fans that were there that created an atmosphere. The sterile mall? That was, yeah, the sterile mall. That's right. I, Tyler Mazik had a good dig it. He did. Dig it plashy after the game about that. Um, you know, it was just incredible. The, the buzz in and around the stadium, even just walking in from the outside, um, it felt so huge. Uh, I think there were so many aspects to it, to me at least, even just like the aesthetics of it being dark when the game starts and, and just seeing um, just I think that that kind of stuff adds to this kind of this electricity that seems to be pulsing through everybody. And then you get inside the stadium and you see that it's packed already inside the stadium with so much time still left to go before first pitch. People were just so amped up for it. And it was great to see a team that came out and delivered to those expectations, you know, with Austin Riley having that ground rule double in the first inning that put the Braves on the board early. I thought that that was important. But, yeah, I just wanted to, first of all, give a shout out to the crowd who was um, there. in every, It was like a full stadium. Every, like I was looking in the outfield seats and obviously down the lines. Like almost every seat was full 30 minutes before first pitch, which you almost never see. But I think, yeah. again, because of the time and everything, um, it was just great to see that. And I'm sure it made for even better visual on TV as well. I was, funny story, I actually was sitting next to this uh, all series next to um, a really lovely Japanese man who was brought who was sending the feed to uh, Tokyo to to broadcast the game um, in Japan. And uh, he he was he was like showing me like the 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 pictures that they were shooting from like the outside of the stadium, and they had somebody with a camera walking around uh, in the corridors of Truist Park, just like capturing all the fans and. Um, that's cool. Like that's yeah. like you're you're broadcasting yourself to the world when you when you go out there and rep your team like that. So, uh, first of all, just wanted to kind of set the scene and and just give people so much credit for that. But um, yeah, and then the game just totally lived up to it. And just a, a thrilling game. Eddie Rosario, another huge game that added to his historic series. Obviously, that home run would just kind of sent shockwaves. 
yeah that was that was one of those moments that in having it be eddie rosario isn't that so perfect mm. like like the fact that sure freddie you know essentially like he's the one that catapulted this team into the series against the dodgers with that eighth inning home run but just the fact that it's someone you don't really expect who wasn't even necessarily a big part of this team even after he was traded for like like just him being in the lineup i can't tell you how many times i was thinking like hey snit you sure about eddie rosario out and left like you sure you don't want to you know you don't want to do something different i mean you traded for four outfielders you sure this is the look that you want to get uh and because i mean the power hadn't really been there for him all year uh and just to come through all series long uh and and of course in, in one of the you know the bigger moments uh, I know it was early on in that game, but I don't know about you. Just just watching at home, once that home run was hit, it it became okay. This is a reality. This yeah. is a real thing. Like, yeah. sure, Cody Bellinger can for sure in the seventh or eighth come up and hit a three run shot and take this all away, but this just feels this feels it, possible. At at that point, it was the Braves' game to lose, right? Yeah, and it. I mean, no Braves fan would tell you they were, like, super confident that they weren't going to lose it at that point. Like, I think everybody could foresee something like you were just describing, like some, you know, big um, Cody Bellinger home run or something at the end screwing well, it up. Or, we'll get, we'll, I was about to say, or Chris Taylor, because, you know, right. it definitely felt like his series as well. Right. No, yeah, no doubt. And we'll get to the whole seventh inning in just a second. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, just a you know, continue on with Eddie Rosario just what a what a freaking legend the guy is like yeah. he he will be a legend in you know Braves fans memories forever despite the fact that he was the fourth outfielder that the Braves had brought in and I think like because of that reason the fact that he was literally the fourth outfielder of three outfield spots nobody could have expected that he was going to play such a big part in such a big moment of the Braves season mm-hmm. I mean even when we were talking about that trade deadline he was more of a an afterthought in our conversations, yeah. you know, a lot of the, our conversations were revolving around the impacts that guys like Adam Duvall was going to have coming back. And of course, like all, you know, all these players obviously had, had big impacts Jorge Soler, another one, of course. Um, but you know, Eddie Rosario, nobody like he was kind of, uh, an afterthought, especially, you know, in the Indians were willing to just essentially salary dump him, like, you mm-hmm. know, that we traded, uh, Pablo Sandoval for him, who they immediately cut, you know, like they didn't even care. They, they were just trying to get him off the roster. Yeah, well, and also for the fact of, I mean, he has no ties to the Braves beyond this season. And we kept talking about, well, the Braves have to trade for guys who are going to be here longer than this year. Because we kept going, this season doesn't really matter. You know, like, mm-hmm, like, right, yeah. like it, it'll, whatever happens, happens. It's great. That's fine. It's wonderful. But no, 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 no. The Braves really need to focus on guys who are going to be attached to this club beyond this year and so seeing his name when he was traded for was like oh this rental all right well i yeah i guess they want to be prepared in case somebody else goes down right right uh and and and, i mean he was hurt at the time he wasn't even going to be able to play for about a month and then when he was able to play 
you know, Alex Anthopoulos was talking about this to, to some of us who were around him um, after the Braves clinched the, the division against the Phillies saying that, you know, they, they really didn't feel a pressure to bring him up necessarily to make some big of an, imp- some big impact because he was, you know, you don't want to say surplus to requirements, but he was just kind of like a, an extra weapon essentially. And so they were just very willing to have him stay down Gwinnett, get your reps, you know, just keep hitting, keep, you know, just keep getting yourself in a rhythm and your time is going to come at some point. And clearly it did. And, and he's made the most of it here in the playoffs. Again, it's just incredible what he's been able to do um, hitting the ball hard almost every single time he's up to bat. Uh, even some outs he's made are, are, are loud outs. Um, yeah. So obviously, and, and just a truly historic performance, 14 hits in the NLCS, which is a Braves franchise record that ties a major league record for the most hits in a, in a playoff series. Um, but he's the only one who did that in six games. So he does still stand in a league of his own in baseball history in that respect. And then obviously he's had, you know, not only, well, whenever you get that many hits, a lot of them are going to be important, but clearly his hits in this series with the game two hit that walked it off um, up the middle against, what was that, Gratterall? I think, I can't remember if it was Gratterall or Kenley Jansen pitching, but either way, against a really good pitcher Jansen, against, yeah. for the Dodgers. Uh, and then, obviously, that big three-run homer in game six that proved to be decisive. Man, just... Um, and, you know, he's so humble, too. you Because, know, like, he, he didn't expect to be in this position either. So, um, it was just great seeing him after the game, kind of holding the trophy and talking to everybody. I think he was kind of in dreamland. Like, he couldn't even believe that all this was happening to him. But um, just a great, great story. Well, and and it's funny, too, in that uh, he is the second Braves player who wasn't a part of a, like, the main core to come in and win a National League uh, uh, Championship Series MVP. Uh, and he's also the second Eddie to do it, with Eddie yeah. Perez doing it in 1999. And when that clicked with me, then I was like, "Oh man, that's right!" Like there, I feel like there just keep there keeps being moments happening for the Braves this year. That's like, wow, how poetic and like how how unique that this is actually working out like this and and kind yeah. of coming together. Uh, that that you have Eddie Rosario following Eddie Perez. Uh, you know who did it the last time the Braves went for a, for a World Series. So so then in Game Six, so Eddie Rosario hits the homer, and then Brian Snicker. Well, actually, he had already made this decision before Eddie Rosario hit the homer, just before. Um, but this is something I wanted to talk to you about. Was I he made it. the yeah. the the decision that takes some onions to remove yeah. Ian Anderson from the game? Pinch hit for him um, for Are uh, Adrianza, uh, who hit a double. And um, A.J. Minter comes in and provides two massive innings for the Braves. And, you know, there are so many stories um, from for individuals uh, on this team. We just talked about Eddie Rosario. We're going to talk about Tyler Matzik in a bit. But I did just want to kind of single out A.J. Minter, too, because I feel like the innings he pitched in this game might end up eventually being swept under the rug because oh, of these will. two guys. Yeah. yeah. But in the context of that game to come in and be as dominant as he was and really to have been as dominant as he has been in this whole series is remarkable because he's a guy who was demoted in the middle of the season was sent down to Gwinnett, uh, which is not the first time that this has happened to him uh, in the middle of a season. And he talked really candidly after the game about um, his experience. And I just thought it was remarkable. He said, um, 
you know, I've failed this team and I've failed these fans so many times in my career. And that's why, that's what I was thinking about. I wanted to go out and do it for them. And, um, man, that just, that, right? it says so much. It like makes you almost like well up a little bit because, you know, you just feel for a guy who is, who's been through those kinds of mental wars. Um, and to, to come out and perform the way he did in that big time moment was, was, so clutch I mean it was necessary for this team where Brian Snicker I'm sure felt like he needed to rely on fewer members of his bullpen to go out there and give him you know longer stretches during the game and to be able to pull Ian Anderson after four innings when things were kind of going south for him he was kind of deteriorating as his start went on Um, although I don't think the damage hadn't really been done yet so I don't know if many people would have resorted to doing what Snit did and pinch hitting for him in that situation yeah, I can't just speak enough about what A.J. Minter said. And also, you know, one of the things he mentioned talking about failure, by the way, was, you know, he says a lot of players uh, on on this Braves roster, everybody has been through failures at some point or another. And that is really what has built the resilience in them individually and collectively as a team to be able to bounce back from so many road bumps that they've hit uh, throughout the season. Yeah, well, and I, I was thinking you you were talking about the fact that AJ's AJ Minter's innings could be overlooked in the in the grand scheme of things and I was thinking yeah they will uh because it's different than last year when he was expected to pitch that game 5 uh and there was a lot more pressure well it seemed like there was a lot more pressure for him to perform in that moment and he actually did really well in that game yeah. uh and yet it didn't matter cuz you know the Braves the Braves lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to come in and that I loved the decision to pull Ian Anderson because it just felt like, uh, well, I hated it in the moment because Ian was dominating and who do we see Adrianza coming up to the plate as, as the pinch hit choice. And I mean, what, With what two have, outs I want to say, yeah. And, and what have we seen from Adrianza? I don't know, 90% of uh, this postseason and just the the end of the season in general, like nothing impressive, nothing yeah. exciting. Did he even have a hit before this? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. That's no, he had not had a hit since, go. wow, since, uh, <laughs> since September 1st. Wow. No, no, no. no. Wow. Okay. Sorry. October Not September. 1st? Yeah, October 1st. Okay. Still. Um, still. Really long time. Uh, the Mets series is the last time that wow. he had a hit. Uh, and he had been going pinch hit, pinch hit, pinch hit, pinch hit all postseason um, without a hit, uh, without a walk. Like, these are, yeah, these are straight up. Like, he did nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to see him step up at that moment, yeah, it was very much one of those like, oh, cool. So we're just wasting uh, not only a pinch hitter, but also wasting whatever's left of Ian Anderson. Because you had Travis Darno on first base. And when uh-huh. Andreanza hit that double, I think a lot of people were expecting that, not re- kind of realizing that it was Darno on first, kind of yeah. expecting them to round the base and score. And everybody, well, and then Wash, Wash threw up the, whole, the, the, the hold sign, and everybody was like, what the hell? Well, so, yeah, Ron Washington's getting a ton of credit, uh, and, and, and he should for the development part. Uh I've kind of questioned some of his base running uh, <laughs> calls in this postseason, and that was another one that I'll be honest with you. I was screaming at my TV uh, until I saw the replay 
Um, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Travis, yeah. Was, he I, was going to get thrown out by a mile. He was, he was rumbling, bumbling, stumbling around the base. Because yeah. <laughs> he's a slow guy. So he's, a you know? he's a catcher. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but incredible decision to get him to stop there. But it just felt like the way that the series had been going, uh, the way that game had been going, uh, that, okay, well, you got him to third, and you're going to end up leaving him on base, aren't you? Yeah. Aren't you? Yeah. You know, yeah. just and, and so I think that was what it made it even sweeter was just the fact that it wasn't a wasted at bat with Adrianza, um, and you were able to add some run support. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um. And then obviously, the, so we get to the seventh inning. Luke Jackson gets into a whole big do old you, mess. Do you question? Luke coming in because I feel like everybody now, of course, wants to play revisionist history right, right. and go, oh, why were you throwing? You saw what he did the last game. Right. And, and do you question Here's, it at all? So I, I, I don't question it um, unless the unless if if Snit had just sent Matzik out there for the seventh and, and told Matzik straight up, you're pitching the seventh and the eighth tonight. Then I could be, I would be understanding of that, and I guess that that's in, in revisionist history like that. That's what people would have wanted, sure. but I think that realistically, you have to expect you're going to throw one guy for the seventh, you're going to throw a different guy for the eighth, and you're going to, you know, you're going to go seven, eight, nine with, with three different relievers, um, as is is typical. And so for that reason, I didn't have any issue with it being Luke Jackson. I mean, he's for, throughout the year he's been that guy. He's been pitching either the seventh or the eighth inning all year long. Um, of course, there are obvious reasons why people would say yeah but this is different because he's just coming off of giving up that huge home run to Cody Bellinger and it's pretty clear at this point that the Dodgers kind of have something on Luke like they're just able to hit him really well he even said that after the game um talking to a reporter saying uh he's like for whatever reason the Dodgers like have something on me I gotta figure that out at some point but um so I so I understand that but in general I I I mean, he's kind of your guy. I think, you know, I was talking with a friend after the game, and he, he brought up a good point, which was maybe that Snit should have thrown Luke in game five of that Dodgers game where they were getting blown out. That way you could have given him an opportunity to go in in a very low leverage situation where you're just trying to get him some good vibes going again. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you have an off day that's a travel day the next day where his arm isn't going to be used, of course, and you would have him ready then with a with you know a day of rest to pitch in game six. I think that may have been the, the smart move, but instead Snit decided to essentially rest all of his bullpen arms in that game five. So, um, but no, I like in, at the moment in the time, I didn't, I didn't think anything bad of it at all. And also, I would say when he came in to the game, I don't think a lot of people, like people, may have been throwing like, oh, like some some caution about that previous game. But I don't think anybody was really expecting what happened to happen with him. Um, but anyway, I mean, who knows? People will always well, uh, kind of revise their how they thought about the decision at the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think part of it. Part of it was who was coming up to the plate, um, which is why some people, a lot of people, were very nervous about Luke Jackson coming in the game. Because uh, that was Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger, and A.J. Pollock, uh, who were just tearing up uh, the Braves at you know in this series to that point. I would just I, quickly rebut with that. It's like, would you? So then, would you rather have Jackson pitch to the top know, of the Dodgers order? I know, you know, so that was going to throw that out. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I understand Braves fans who were like, you know, these guys had been tearing up uh, 
the Braves to this point. However, I would say look at the the stretch over 181 games or excuse me, 161 games uh, of how Luke Jackson looked and the fact that pitchers have bad performances and do stuff. And I know what's happened more often than not with Luke Jackson, uh, which is how he's gotten the name 77 and, 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 you know, that sort of thing, especially at our radio station. Uh, So I didn't necessarily hate throwing him out there. I would also say managers do make mistakes. Yeah. And, and part of it is maybe, that's actually a good thing that that happened in this moment. So Brian Snicker can get the old ways that he's used to, which he did a lot of new things. He did a lot of things that we wouldn't expect him to do, but he still held on to, I want to have my guy in seven, eight, and nine, and it didn't work out. And so maybe that causes him to rethink, and it's a positive thing. I'm going to you know add this little positive spin onto uh, heading into the World Series. It's also just great that um, like it didn't ultimately cost the Braves, and I mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the best part of it. To reinforce your point, I want to say you know yeah you can absolutely learn from these situations. If the Braves are in the same exact position in a potential World Series clinching game against the Astros, maybe Brian Snicker does bring out Matzik for that seventh inning and yeah. say okay well if he gets through the seventh clean then we could throw him back out there again for the eighth if he's on you know a low pitch count and all that stuff um because remember remember the brewer series in game one he leaves charlie morton out there to go throw the seventh inning charlie morton gives up the home run is put in almost the same exact position in the next game in game two with max freed and decides to to make the pitching change which turned out to be the right call um, where they would go on to win that game. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think there, there are things you can learn. It's not about, you know, um, like bashing somebody for making a certain decision. It's can you learn from that situation, and then maybe it improves your decision-making the next time something like that comes around. Yeah, well, and it's also one of those things that uh, it's just one of the few missteps that was made in this series. Like, if, like yeah. if, out of the things that I could truly blame Brian Snicker for, this was one of them for sure, but there's not that many. I know there's you, not. Yeah. When you look across, you know, across the field at all of the nonsense that Dave Roberts I know. got this Dodger <laughs> team into, and 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 I like, and for anyone who's because uh, the this, the narrated part of this now is changed to well, I mean, you know, the Dodgers were just so beat up, and you know, the, uh, it's like I'm sorry. Did you did you see the Braves roster yeah, right. at the beginning yeah. of the season to where it is now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so of course, like the narrative is going to change that that it is well the the Dodgers were truly beat up, but a lot of it was Dave Roberts just out here grasping at straws, making up stuff, and making a lot of bad decisions that did not work out for his Dodgers team. Yeah, so many. I mean, we could go through all of them, but um. Yeah, I think we can just kind of summarize it by saying that whatever qualms you may have with Brian Snicker making a certain decision here or there with a pitcher, Luke Jackson in this case, he was the better manager in this series. And I think that he's been one of the best managers of any team in this postseason. I just think that he's pulled the right move on so many occasions. He's, he deserves a ton of credit, not, credit for it, not just him, but really the whole staff. I tend to think that Walt Weiss has um, is like doing a lot of the kind of um, – 
whispering in his ear, like, yeah. you know, like some suggestions maybe that Brian Snicker appreciates. Um, and it's just a tremendous coaching staff overall. So you got to give credit to all of them. But the, the, I mean, it's certainly been a very well managed uh, postseason overall by Brian Snicker. Uh, is there anything as a part of this game that you want to get to that we haven't talked about? Well, we'll just—I mean, Matzik comes in and just mows down uh, pretty much everybody in his yeah. way. That was just unbelievable. You talk about postseason pitching performances that live in memories, and it's usually starters. You know, it's usually Tom Glavin going eight innings in Game Six of the '95 World Series that clinched it. And certainly, we hope that there is something like that in store for the Braves in this World Series as well. But I think that that performance from Tyler Matzik is one of the rare. Um, like relief pitching performances that is going to really live in the memory banks of Braves fans. Like nobody's going to forget that. And we talked about AJ Minter having gone through the mental wars. Nobody's gone through mental wars. Like Tyler Matzik, who was out of baseball with the yips literally had just like mental issues and couldn't, he had like Mark Wohler syndrome. Apparently if yeah. anybody remembers that where he was like, all of a sudden was not able to throw, throw strikes. Um, Tyler Matzik was playing independent ball with like the air hogs somewhere in the Dallas area. A matter of, you know, a few years ago, it was not that long ago that he was there. Um, and I think it was Kyle Wright who, who told a story about when the Braves signed him and he came to Gwinnett, everybody saw him throw and was like, Holy crap. This guy has an arm. <laughs> like, like the, everybody was just blown away by him because he was a high pedigree guy. He was a first round pick by the Rockies. Um, under you know when when Walt Weiss was there with that organization, so um, just like a, a really kind of amazing confluence of events that led him to to become an Atlanta Brave, and then to kind of have your um, your climax, for lack of a better word, in that moment um, was amazing. It was just a kind of a storybook uh, moment for for him and for Braves fans to be able to get out of that jam without giving up any damage was truly incredible, and I think it really gave everybody like a nice kind of more of a joy ride for the ninth inning honestly when will smith came in and he had a little bit of a cushion to work with and obviously they did it and um when everybody saw freddie freeman raise his hands when he caught that ball it was just like a symbol it was like symbolic of the euphoria that i think everybody was feeling yeah uh you, you talk about matzik and one of the coolest things about all of this is just the fact that his story gets to be told uh, because, I mean, th this could have – there are so many players like Tyler Matzik who had really good stuff, went through something, and it just wasn't the same after that. But a lot of those guys don't get the redemption story mm -hmm. of coming back and not, like, like, not only just being a part of the bullpen and being a guy who fills innings, but a – like massive reason as to why the Braves are in this point because if Tyler Matzik comes in that seventh inning the way that Luke Jackson had left it that is game ending stuff right there mm -hmm. that is that is Dodgers take the lead and don't look back and oh no we're headed to a game seven and I was one who was like I have zero confidence in a team, you know, <laughs> yeah, in you know, yeah, yeah. a Braves team to win a game seven. Uh, so I think that's just what makes it that much sweeter is the, is the, the pressure because I was one and I tweeted out after he left that, uh, that eighth inning, 
that he was a guy that I have been saying all season, love his stuff, love his story. He's a great guy. Just don't put him in any pressure situations right. yeah, because yeah. I don't think he's going to come through. I, I think he's a little too flaky for me. Uh, and I don't like a guy who has been through that coming in in high pressure situations because I just wonder about whether you go back to old habits and kind of crumble under the pressure. And to me, he said, what a moron and showed me <laughs> up. And I, I like that is, you know, there, there are moments of course, where you love to be absolutely wrong. 100% loved being wrong in that moment, just because of, of how emphatic it was and how it's like, all, all right, I absolutely have to rethink this. And he is a guy that I think, the Braves could potentially lean on even more next season. I think he's going to stay in his position this year just because of that. that that's they've gotten mm-hmm. to this point, kind of working it. Um, maybe they lean on him more, and he does some some seventh and eighth inning work. Uh, but it just it, it's uh, I don't know. It, it's it's you, hard to say you, much you, more. It's hard not to like want to use a guy like that in more you know give him more opportunities put him in more high leverage opportunities you know just because he has been so dominant like he came into that situation and almost threw an immaculate inning like yeah. from 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 having runners on second and third and none outs i think he threw two balls in that whole sequence to get it before the end of the inning and i cuz i i say all that to say to say that like one thing that i think will be that is slightly disappointing uh is the fact that the photos that are going to get circulated and that have been circulated from the Braves clinching is Will Smith. Mm, and and yeah. it's like, I mean, as much as, yes, Will was the last one to be out there. He made it happen. He didn't, he didn't crumble under the pressure. It was just like, oh man, no, I, I really, if, they, if there's going to be any uh, embracing photos or, you know, those exciting kind of defining the series. I kind of wish it would have would have been Matzik just because of how much he held up his end of the deal. The Braves put out some video or at least one video of him just kind of like the celebration of him having the final strikeout in that seventh inning. Um I think it was Eric O'Flaherty who's Dave O'Brien's co host on uh the seven fifty five is real podcast on the athletics. Uh, he tweeted out it was like, you know, what must it be like to feel like this? <laughs> you know, yeah. when he's just like sc- like screaming into the air with, and like you see all the fans stand up and go nuts at the same time. Like, man, talk about an, a, a dopamine rush, an adrenaline rush, all that stuff at one time. I mean, what an insane feeling. And by the way, Tyler Matzik would be the last one who would like be like pointing out his story and like how far he came. Like yeah. his whole thing when he like all he was talking about after the game was just like, just wanted to pick up Luke, just wanted to pick up Luke. Like, you know, because like people have done it for me. That's like all these guys care about each other so much. You can kind of get wrapped up in this flowery language about teammates and the brotherhood and, and all that kind of stuff. But there really does seem to be something different about this team and especially this bullpen, uh, but the entire team in general. I th- and I think it is because they've hit so many roadblocks throughout the season um, because a lot of them are not, star players in this league um some of them who are kind of having this kind of success for the first time it's like they all appreciate where they are right now and I think that they all understand that the reason that this team is in the World Series is because 
they got there together. It wasn't like some, you know, one or two or three players who were kind of carrying everybody through. It was the collection of everybody working together and kind of ham and egging it through this thing to to get them all this success. So it's just a, yeah, it's just a great kind of team vibe right now that they have going. And I think that that kind of thing can really carry you um, at this time of year. One of my favorite things that I've been watching the last couple of days since the Braves clinched is a the on the field videos of whether it's Freddie and Snit getting together for a big embrace. Uh, I saw one yesterday that was Adam Duvall holding his son who sees Blooper from <laughs> yeah. across the field and Blooper comes over and picks him up and then just like walks off with him uh so (laughs) all of the celebration videos uh and then i've also seen on tiktok uh some of the fan celebrations the sure there is fans in the stadium incredible uh uh getting to hear mark owens when i was watching the tv broadcast and and his uh excitement was a lot of fun uh, but just getting to see like regular Braves fans who were like me sitting on the couch. Uh, well, I was not sitting. I, I was very much. I was very much pacing. pacing. Yes, definitely pacing. Pacing around the couch. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I well, I, so I I told uh, Thomas Mott earlier that day when we were doing our show together that it was like, look, I've got a pit in my stomach that's not going away until they finish this thing, and I was I was of the. I, look, I, I'm optimistic, you know, I, I, at least I can be, uh, but it was, this is not real until the final out. And so to see, I, I saw one guy who was in his recliner and like literally was just struggling to get up. Like he was just <laughs> wanting to jump up and just the, the pure excitement. Uh, you talk about the, the, the Freddie raising his hands and like, that is a photo that will be framed in people's you know man caves and dens i'm sure if not already will be um especially depending on what happens uh in, in this upcoming series but just a great yeah. watch party outside the stadium too in the battery Absolutely that was the really battery. cool to see it reminded me of like a world series or a like a world cup or something you know when you have like those like big outdoor watch parties really cool i'm sure that i'm sure that being part of that would have been just as or more exciting than being in the stadium as well. Just kind of whenever, whenever you're just around that many people who are all feeling the same thing, there's just that electricity that's going through everybody. That is it's, it's like you don't get that many opportunities to experience that kind of thing in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, for me, there was a little bit of like, I was glad I was alone. Cause you know, there, there, there might've been a little, little <laughs> coming up a uh, little dusty in there. Yeah, exactly. You know, of just, uh, cause I think it's just for so many Braves fans and just Atlanta fans in general, uh, this idea of not knowing if getting to this point was really going to be possible or if it was just going to be something else. Uh, and so Joe Patrick. It is now real. We can talk about the fact that tomorrow night at oh 8.09, uh, the Atlanta Braves will be in Houston to face the Astros, a team who not so long ago had their World Series hopes taken away from them by a National League team, that time the Dodgers. Uh, how how are you feeling just in general about the, the Braves' 
you know, chances here. Well, first of all, I got to say that, you know, I think that the Braves are going to be America's team. If they weren't already, I think that yeah. the Braves are definitely America's team for this series because of, you know, all the, re- all the reasons or maybe sure. one huge gigantic reason that uh, everybody hates the Astros, that everybody that doesn't live in the Houston area <laughs> is from the Houston area. So I think that there will be a lot of people rooting for the Braves kind of organically around the country, even though they're, you know, they might not have any actual Braves legions or anything, but that always makes you feel good to have that kind of uh, momentum behind your organization. But, you know, going into the series, I, I'm kind of split, like I'm kind of torn um, between two feelings, which is one, obviously wanting to cap all the glory that we just talked about for 45 minutes with a, you know, a world series, um, you know, with, with just kind of like a happy ending, you want it to, you want to see your team win the whole thing. You know, it's, it's, you, you want to see, yeah, you just, you just want to see them do that. If they, if it ends in heartbreak, it's going to really obviously put a, a damper on everything that we just talked about. Um, but at the same time, I can't help but feel like, it's like an element of like house money that this team is playing with right now. And, and, and maybe it's just the feeling of that they're kind of going to be buoyed by having such a, um, such a win, uh, such a series win over the Dodgers that that's going to kind of lift them up in this series. But I just do feel a sense of confidence with this team heading into it. And especially when you look at game one with Charlie Morton going up against Framber Valdez, who's probably their best pitcher this season overall. Like he, I know he has the lowest FIP of anybody on the team, um, but you know the Braves have a clear advantage in this series in the starting rotation, and I feel like something that has to happen for the Braves in this series is they have to actually take advantage of that. Like in the in the Dodgers series, I think they also had a starting rotation advantage, but they were never really able to take advantage of it. Like they just didn't, you know. Charlie Morton was never at his best during the series. Max Fried, uh, you know, really struggled obviously out there in L.A. You just didn't really take advantage of that that like you could. In fact, the Braves you know won a bullpen game when they were going up against you know uh, who was it that was going for the uh, Julio Urias in that game. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think both teams felt like they didn't really take advantage of of some times in the situ- uh, that they had in the series. But I think going into the World series um you're going up against an al team that is that is just a a league where you're gonna you know you're you're scoring more runs you've got a dh the braves will obviously be playing with those rules in those for in these first two games but you're playing against a team that is probably the best offensive team that you've played in this postseason i would even say better than the dodgers um because of the way that some of the dodgers were struggling with injuries and things like that um this is going to be a very tough out but you have to take advantage of this strength that you have in the starting rotation and that obviously obviously starts in game one where you have one of the best postseason pitchers in history and charlie morton going out um and if and if he can put you uh on the right track you know give you give you a good start to the series then i think that that obviously puts you in a great position to win the thing considering that you don't have home field advantage yeah so i did i did miss speak and it was bothering me the whole time you were going uh that the astros lost to the nationals like that was 2019 Uh, the year (laughs) yeah that was the year that like the nationals were the team who really weren't supposed to be there right that's one of those like sound familiar Mm uh and who had some really impressive starting pitching (laughs) in that series there you go uh and and so having that in mind like that is i mean that's Obviously, a lot of the optimism that I fall back onto. Uh, and then also, yeah, I, I think this lines up perfectly with getting Charlie Morton in game one of this series. And he, like getting to face your former team uh, counts for something. Uh, I, I know if you were to ask Charlie about it, 
he'd be very calm and you know oh you know he's a great guys and you know, <laughs> you know uh, Charlie and, Morton is exactly yeah. he would find some five minute answer to say how <laughs> facing his former club doesn't really mean anything but I think there's two things going here for Charlie in that um getting to finish what you started in your career with the Braves I think matters for something uh and then to go against your former club uh there's going to be something about like just trying to perform and also knowing the competition really well um just from being around those guys and and just i don't know any little thing that you can get out of that i I feel like it 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 seems to be an advantage um and also uh it comes at a great time because the the Braves need to start off, especially on the road, getting uh getting this first one. And I would just say from more of a technical standpoint, it looked like he had figured something out in his in the last start that he made against the Dodgers, which got off to a really rough start. You know, mm-hmm. he was actually lucky to make it through one of the, like the first or second inning there where yeah. he was like really getting into trouble. But he did seem to figure something out and was able to command his fastball in particular a lot better later on in that start and sometimes that's how it goes with pitchers like you you, there's like some little mechanical thing that is causing you to to you know your fastball command to kind of break down but if you can fix that little thing then all of a sudden it kind of comes back kind of like a golfer or something you know because it is a very mechanical uh you know um motion that they make you know in their delivery so uh you hope that that could be something that kind of gives him some momentum coming into the start tonight or tomorrow night um he sh- he will be on an extra day of rest so that also you would think has got to help um honestly when it comes to these brave starters there's not a lot of excuses or anything like they they should be the better pitchers for these teams i think the only question you know you're just going up against a really tough lineup so it's like how well can you can you hold them hold them down but um it's hard to like predict exactly what's going to happen especially just coming off that dodgers series with these starts i think none of them kind of went how you we would have predicted them when they started so um you just kind of hope that a guy like charlie can come in with his best stuff and you have to have faith that if he does then you're going to have a great chance to win that ball game i'm i'm trying to look here one thing that's been very interesting uh about the astros and their postseason success and i get i mean this kind of goes with a bit of that national league versus american league whereas you know national league you think of better pitchers getting much tighter games the astros have been scoring a ton of of runs yeah just I, I you know in in their entire series i mean they had a 12 run game uh against the red sox they had a 12 run uh or no a 10 run game uh against the white sox like it's just they are um scoring in bunches uh, a lot of nine run games uh against the red sox do you think that changes at all because they'll essentially be facing what we assume to be better pitching? Um, Or is this type of series that you think could fall into, we're going to get some, some big scoring games? Well, no, I mean, I think certainly, I think the higher scoring the games are, this this is not causal, but it is. I think we are likely to see some correlation here where if the games are higher scoring, that will inevitably favor 
the Astros. I think that you know they're they're going to be more likely to win games if they are higher scoring. If the games are lower scoring, I think that you know that would be con- the Braves will end up winning those. Again, it's not like it's not causal. Sure. It's not like yeah, if you no, if you, you hold them low, but like yeah, yeah. So I think that you know if you're the Braves, you I think you have to go in with the mentality to just try to limit. You know, you know. Obviously, obviously, you never want to go into a game like expecting like, all right, well, we'll just score nine runs tonight and we'll win this game. But um, I, I certainly think that it will go into the in the Braves' favor if they can limit just the runs that are scored in general and keep these things a little bit tighter, a little bit lower scoring. You know, honestly, sometimes those kinds of games can amp up the tension on teams, especially if they start getting frustrated at the plate. So uh, I, I certainly think that that's something to kind of watch out for in this series overall is just the scores of the games. If they're higher scoring, that's going to favor the better offensive team, which in this case is the Houston Astros. Uh, something that the Astros had to deal with this last series, like they they had uh, Nathan Avaldi, who, I mean, in my opinion, was, was just pitching lights out all season, especially into the postseason. Uh, they were able to overcome that, but I just wonder the difference in um, not only what the Braves can send out starters wise but the fact that you know tyler matzik and will smith and those guys are are aj mentor are able uh to to show up in relief as well um where is the where's the one concern for you for the braves in this series for the braves it's i mean i hate to like kind of really drop it all on one player in particular but it really is kind of what we were talking about earlier with luke jackson and can he bounce back because in general he has been the one right-handed arm that the team has been able to rely on this season out of the bullpen. And if he all of a sudden, you know, there's like a head case, you know, thing going on with him um, and you don't really have that kind of reliable right-hand arm, that's going to become a big issue for you, especially because you no longer have Waskar Yanoa, who he'd also kind of penciled in as being a guy who can come in and relief and get you big strikeouts and things like that. Now, granted a guy like Tyler Matzik is probably a guy at this point who you don't care who he's facing. Um, He's going to be pretty devastating against anybody. But um, I think that for me, that's, that's one, that's probably the clearest kind of uh, fear that I have for this Braves team is can Luke Jackson get back on track? Because if Luke Jackson gets back on track, if he gets himself sorted out, once again, you have a great, assortment of bullpen options there, especially with the way that Minter has clearly been able to step up his game with Minter, Matzik, Jackson, and and Will Smith all being at their best. I think you have four guys who are going to, would be able to pitch for you pretty much every single night. Like Brian Snicker had been using them. Um, And again, kind of combining them with the starting pitching advantage you have. I think that that would allow you to, you know, um, defend yourself against this Houston uh, offense as, as best you can. So I think that's the biggest question mark I have, I have going in. Oh, and I, I should mention, by the way, when I was talking about the, the Astros starting pitching and, and Framber Valdez kind of being their best pitcher, you know, uh, Lance McCullers has, has been obviously one of their, their big guys this year, but he, his health is in question. He might not be at his best. So that's kind of one of the reasons he already in my mind is kind of, taking a notch down a little bit in terms of what I expect out of him uh, in this series. The Braves are going to end up having uh, more American league games where they're going to have a designated hitter. Is it kind of, I mean, I mean, I've heard a lot of conversation of based on how everything has happened. Is it just a no brainer that you DH Juan Soto or do you or Hesler? Yes, I would love one. So, <laughs> wow, uh, yeah, no, that's, 
Ah, Caleb, get Same initials. Uh, yeah. JS. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yes, do you uh, do you designate uh, Jorge Soler uh, in that DH spot over mixing something up and and trying to get the maybe the the Jocktober that had that had really helped the Braves in a pinch hitting role? Do you do you swap that? Well, I think Soler is the clear guy you're going to insert into the lineup with a DH involved. I think the biggest question marks around this are, um, first of all, if you slot in Jorge Soler, is he going to be your DH, or do you actually put him out there in right field in place of Jock Peterson? Who, yeah, that's who what gave, I'm asking. Yeah, who's better defensively? Um, I don't know at this point, and I do think the, the COVID situation with Soler throws a little extra question mark into this which is like do you want somebody who's coming off of that um to be out there on their feet for for a long time in a game and i'm not saying that like covid um would affect him in a way that like he wouldn't be able to do that but i'm just saying like as somebody who's probably been off of his feet for the better part of a week you know just you know cooped up um you know is that is that something that kind of enters your mind i don't know it's again it's a question mark we just don't we just don't know maybe it helps him like having been off his feet maybe he's got like an extra spring in his step out there um we just don't know but i think that that's one of the question marks if i was going to throw out one i would say put jorge soler out there uh in right field um that's just me um and then i think obviously the other question is where if jorge soler is coming into this lineup how do you then construct the lineup um because Jorge Soler was having so much success as the leadoff hitter for this team the last three or four weeks of the season. Um, and I think the one thing, the nice thing about Eddie Rosario is that he has not just like had to be slotted in this leadoff spot. And that's kind of been where he's derived all this success from. Like he's batted first. He's batted fifth in this postseason. Like he's kind of batted all over the place. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's going to affect him at all. Um, and so I do like Soler at the top of this lineup still, especially if you're going up against a lefty. I think that the most likely thing is that if you're facing a lefty, you're going to see Jorge Soler batting leadoff uh, and Eddie Rosario probably move down to fifth in the lineup, hitting behind Austin Riley as a lefty going um, after. So you can get the lefty righty or righty lefty <laughs> like in, in the Braves uh, lineup at that point. Um, and then vice versa. If you're going up against a righty, you'll probably have Soler batting leadoff or um, Rosario batting leadoff and Soler uh, batting lower in the order. So yeah, I don't know. Do you I have am... any, what do you, what are your thoughts on this? So <clears throat> I would love if, if in a perfect scenario, if Juan, so- if, if Juan Soto had been dealing with Jorge Soler, <laughs> wow, I really, I can't get this out of my head. If Again, Jorge Soler, would love Juan Soto. I know, man, uh, I'm being very optimistic today, I guess. Uh, maybe look, my mind is thinking Jorge Soler is going to play like Juan Soto. There we go. There you go. Positive there you spin. go. There you go. Uh, but if, if Jorge Soler was dealing with some type of physical injury that, uh, you know, was just something like a little tweak or something like that, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd feel so different than dealing with COVID and now knowing what we know, which is Jorge Soler has been dealing with COVID uh, unvaccinated, which, look, this is just Caleb's opinion. I think it affects people who haven't been vaccinated worse. Uh, I think a lot of doctors would say that, well, too. He also said uh, he was he, he also said he never had symptoms. OK, uh, I still I still just wonder uh, <laughs> about how those things uh linger around and if there's zero performance issues i absolutely want jorge soler out in, in the outfield uh and playing and then let jock peterson dh just because it's seemed like 
Uh, not that there's been any issues with Jock in the outfield, but just it, it seemed like that Jocktober, that that uh, emphatic power that he's had has come in those pinch hitting situations, uh, which you would get more often uh, as a designated hitter. Um, if there is any lingering issues that, that the Braves trainers are worried about, then 100% um, uh, put him in the designated hitter position because I still think he's a better hitter at, what, 75% or whatever number you want to stick on him uh, than the other Braves bats would be as a DH. Um, but it's just, uh, this is when it becomes those tough decisions to make. And it's also very possible that we get a look in game one and game two that if this thing pushes further, that maybe if the designated hitter comes back around, you see something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think that it's not something that will be set in stone like right now. I think that yeah. it's it's something that they'll probably eva- assess kind of day to day. Brian Snicker was kind of joking about lineup decision things and some lineup decisions and things like that um, last week, and he was like, "I don't even." He's like, "I wake up in the morning without a thought in my mind." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. <That's- laughs> Something. Uh, one other thing that that could get overlooked in this. Uh, well, it's going to get talked about. Uh, is just the fact of how interesting is it that you're getting old school manager versus yeah. old school manager. You're getting yeah. Brian Snicker versus Dusty Baker. Uh, not these new analytic guys, which yeah. I'm. Sh- I I can tell you right now, with Joe Buck and John Smoltz, we are not going to hear the end of the fact that non-analytic guys. Uh, are managing the World Series, and we're going to get so much back in my day and how I would have done it and yada, yada. Which is not even really the truth. We talked about this no, during the I season know. When, that, <laughs> when that Sports Illustrated uh, uh, article came out, which I, again, highly recommend to, to anybody to go read because it's an amazing story. But the headline says something like, he's old school, he doesn't do analytics, he does it his own way or whatever, which is, like, not the case. Like, they provide yeah. – us. the thing is with Snit, they provide him with everything. They provide him with – all the analytics it's just his decision as to what to do with that information and they don't push him on it so it's not like somebody above him is making decisions for him but they clearly get the point across of like what certain numbers show in certain situations and but then they just give him the autonomy and and he does definitely take that stuff into account like he's not brushing it aside and telling you know Alex Anthopoulos and his team to like go shove it or anything so uh yeah I mean there there will be a lot made about that because they are kind of the archetypes in this game of the uh just the in the aesthetic of Dusty Baker and Brian Snicker and two guys that are kind of beloved in the baseball world so you feel happy Absolutely. for them for that reason too and I think that it makes for kind of a uh yeah it's kind of perfect mix for for major league baseball i think i think they appreciate having those kinds of managers that a certain kind of uh portion of their fan base really likes to see alongside this kind of new dynamic style of baseball that's being played out there so um it should be it should be a great series i'm really looking forward to it caleb i'm also looking forward to bringing this show to the air after games people can listen to the (laughs) two of us on 92.9 the game um doing these kinds of reaction shows that we've been doing for the road games um we'll be doing them on 92.9 the game and you I, i've been told that they will also be streamed here on facebook live so if any of our facebook live listeners would prefer just to keep listening to us here or watching us after the fact the recorded videos on here those will be there for them but we'll also be uh, on the air in the studio 
I was about to say, well, you know, it's one of those if you if you just don't want to look at us, you know, if you want to turn on the radio, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, right. and, yeah. and, and, you know, maybe that's the way to go. I've got a big uh, pimple coming in, which usually <laughs> happens around major life events like weddings and oh, covering the okay. World Series. So, yeah. yeah, maybe radio will be best. A lot of stressful, you know, rubbing of the face. Yeah, no, <laughs> That's I, probably uh, what it is. Honestly, that's, yeah. uh, that's 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 why you know, I got the beard in here to kind of cover it up. Uh, but, yeah, no, that, it'll be really – look, this is an exciting time not only for Atlanta fans – but us too, as as media in this city, uh, to get these opportunities, they just don't come around all the time. And so, uh, like Joe was saying, check out uh, our coverage that we'll have post game, of course, on ninety two nine. And Joe is telling us we're going to be doing Facebook Live stuff too. So it's going to be some some late nights, uh, but we hope you'll stay up with us uh, and give us your insight. Anything that that you know you may be wanting to talk about i know i'll try to have my phone up uh so yeah we'll take questions, questions absolutely yeah. yeah we'll be taking any, callers as well i believe so there there we go uh it'll be nice to be on the opposite end of that joe patrick rather than the one <laughs> yeah. uh th- that's usually taking the calls and sending them uh, the other side of the so, glass exactly uh so it, it's it's a fun experience all like we said game one tomorrow night on my parents anniversary huh. uh of all things so shout out to Shout out to Jeff and Stephanie who are going to be celebrating. I don't know a long time uh, of maybe they'll have a little tomorrow. extra to celebrate tomorrow. That is what I'm hoping. Uh, as Charlie Morton is going to face Framber Valdez out in Houston. Uh, thank you for everybody watching on Facebook Live, and and of course everyone who is going to listen to this posted later on Odyssey or wherever you get your podcast. For my co-host Joe Patrick, I'm Caleb Johnson. This has been Batter Up. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum 
of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 